What's happening, people? And welcome back to another episode of Hustle Smart. Welcome back, welcome back. What's happening is Shubs. It's your boy Lex. And today we've got a really amazing guest, Myron. Um, just a just a quick backstory. I got a shout out to one super important person who introduced me to, to Myron. We got my converse mom, Isabel. Really appreciate her. So yeah, I know she's gonna be listening in, so I just had to shout her out. But uh, Myron, could you please introduce yourself to our listeners? Who you are, what you do, a bit of a backstory of yourself. Yeah, of course. Just stop me when it gets too much. So, (laughs) I'm Myron Perry. I'm the managing director at Able Search and Revelo. Um, We're a recruitment business. I've been in recruitment for 14 years now. Um, I graduated from uni with a with a law degree. um, Worked in a in a law firm for a year. I didn't really know what to do. Um, I'll probably touch upon it later, but recruitment's definitely an industry that. No one ever, ever on this entire planet grows up and says, I want to be a recruiter, mm. ever. Yeah. No one even knows what it is. So hopefully mm. I can shed a bit more light into, yeah, in terms of what the industry actually is. So probably like most people, I fell into recruitment by accident, but I'm blessed that that did happen. So hopefully I can share a bit more of that story um, yeah. today, basically. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So yeah, when you say you fell into it, how how did you kind of get into it? How did you fall into it? In fact? <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. There used to be an advert on TV, which was those who can't, comma, teach. So that used to be the tagline to get people to go into teaching. Mm. Um, I feel, which is a very, which is a big disservice anyway to teaching because it's such an important industry. But mm-hmm. recruitment was kind of like that. I say back in my day, there's obviously people that preceded my time as well. Yeah. But um, recruitment happened by accident. So I graduated with a law degree, like I said. I worked in a law firm. Um it didn't really suit my personality, to be, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably got some sort of undiagnosed ADHD or something because the discipline required to work in, in law, yeah. and I really admire people that do it. Looking back now, I was a bit like, oh, why can't I be good enough to do law? But I don't think it probably would have suited yeah. me anyway. So can you just shed a bit more light on your personality? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I think growing up... Um, I was very anti-authority, um, in all honesty. Um, so it is a bit of a paradox to be anti-authority and then work in law. Or maybe some people argue that it isn't, and maybe that's a good trait to have. Yeah. But I've always been very um, anti-authority. Um, but for me, the interesting point about people with this type of trait is that mm-hmm. in the working world, you get labelled an insubordinate or a troublemaker yeah. or mm-hmm. a maverick. Um Whereas interestingly for me, I think if you're anti-authority, usually it means that you treat everyone equal. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't matter if it's a, a waiter or waitress at Nando's or a toilet attendant, you're going to treat them with the same respect. Um, and I do sometimes think that, and I don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, I do sometimes think that people who have too much respect for authority can sometimes fall into the trap of when they do move up the food chain, they can start to lose respect yeah. for people beneath them. Mm-hmm. Um and that, that was never going to suit my personality, being in that type of hierarchical industry. Yeah, yeah. So there's a word we use in recruitment, which is meritocratic. So it's basically, if you do well, you're going to move up the ladder. Mm-hmm. And it's indiscriminate of color, gender, looks, aesthetics, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. And largely, it's true. Um, and that has been the case. So I do feel um, kind of lucky. Um, because if it wasn't for recruitment, and in answer to your question, 
sometimes I do have a smile to myself and say, where would my personality fit in? And the answer is, I don't know. I'm, I'm a huge sports fan, but um, I was never going to go down the sports route. Mm. Um, I was never good enough to play any any sport at a decent <laughs> level. So I had to kind of use my brains um, yeah. and think, okay, where can I where can I use my skills? And recruitment just happened to be the thing that I fell into by complete accident. I just bumped into a schoolmate on the train home okay. after I quit my job at the law firm. Mm-hmm. And he was like, do you want to come and interview with us? And I'm not going to lie. And I'm ashamed to say it. We've all got degrees here, right? When you, when you graduate from a red brick uni and you have a law degree on top, you can have an unnecessary swagger about you. So I was like, I've got a law degree. Why am I going to work in some dusty recruitment company? This is kind of my mentality. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Because I interviewed there and I was just blown away by how kind of talented everyone was. Um, So I went from being really snobby to walking in on my first day. And I was just like, I was so intimidated Mm. when I I met people in the industry. And yeah, it was a a big lesson for me character-wise as well. So yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Um, in terms of, like you said, a lot of people may not know what recruitment is. So what exactly is recruitment and what is your kind of niche as well? Sure. So I'm going to say, uh, use a very, what people will class in recruitment is quite a dirty word, but I, I would say that I work in sales. Okay. Um, most, some recruiters, they try and sex it up or be really <laughs> sophisticated and they hate using that word to yeah. describe what they do. A lot do. of people hate that word for some reason. Yeah, it yeah. seems to have like connotations of like Del Boy or like Wheeler yeah, Dealer, yeah, but yeah. It's sales is sales and it doesn't mm-hmm. matter. It could be sophisticated or you could be selling stuff out of your car boot. Mm-hmm. Like, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Everyone's trying to achieve the same thing, sure. basically. Um, but it, yeah, it's, de- it's definitely sales and it's basically you're selling people to companies, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the distinction I would draw, though, and this is where when I speak to people outside of the industry. So what, what will happen a lot um, in my life is that at a family function or at a dinner party, someone will be like, oh, you work in recruitment. Oh, get me a job. Yeah, and it's yeah, like, yeah. no, if I could get you a job that easily, I'd be a multimillionaire. So yeah. It doesn't work like that. So we're not the same as a job center. A job center probably can get you a job that quickly. Um, ours is less frequent in terms of transaction, mm-hmm. but when the transaction happens for us as a business, um, it's a lot of money basically. So it's a different type of yeah. job center is probably how I'd say it. Makes sense. And what type of skills other than like, for example, for a sales role, you need to be confident, persuasive. Yeah. What other skills would you kind of need as a, as a recruiter? Thinking on your feet is probably the best trait you can have. Mm. In, probably in most industries, yeah. because the thing is what, what happens in recruitment, the training is, here's your script. They give you classroom training. So if they say this, then you can respond like this. And it works to a certain extent, but all that has to happen is the client on the end of the phone to say something that just throws you off guard. And then you're like, what do I say now? So Mm. I think the ability to think on your feet within seconds, by the way. um, Yeah, so I think think, thinking on your feet, um, and I think this is so boring, but I'm sure you've heard the phrase before that hard work beats talent. it can be a bit of a numbers game recruitment. Yeah. So it's like the more calls you make, the more sales you'll make. It generally works like that. Um, it's a bit of a watered down version of uh, of what it is, but yeah. essentially that 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 applies. So I'd probably say they're the two main they're mm. the two main skills. I just want to touch on something that you mentioned. You said thinking on your feet, and I've realised, <clears throat> like especially in the corporate work in the corporate world, not a lot of people know how to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, I was talking to my friend, and he compared. Like he watched uh, like a Vlad TV interview, and he com- and the person that he watched compared compared thinking on your feet to tennis. 
So if you think about tennis, the game, like, they only have, like, half a second to a second to actually respond. React, yeah. And I think that's how I love that quickly analogy. and how adaptable you need to be in the court world. Because mm-hmm. like you said someone can say something, the second you stumble, you mess yeah. up. Do you know what I mean? So I think critical thinking is definitely something that everyone should look to learn and, and embrace. I think that's such a good point. And it's interesting because... Bear with me on this because I'm going somewhere with this point. Yeah. Like where, when there's a moment when you're growing up as a kid, mm-hmm. where when you start to go into adulthood, mm-hmm. you start to realize that adults also talk shit. Yeah, my, yeah, my yeah, language yeah. a lot. That happens in the corporate world mm-hmm. as well because there's two types of senior people that you first meet in your first proper job. Number one, you get seniors who have imposter syndrome, so yeah. they're kind of like they don't even feel like they deserve to be in mm-hmm. that position. Um, they're, they usually have good hearts, those type of people. I'm probably in that category. Mm. Then you get the other senior people who have basically kissed, kissed ass to get to where they are. Yeah. Let me tell you something. As a junior, there's not a fucking thing you can do about that. You just have to swallow it, yeah. um, which is a shame, but that's the way the world works. Yeah. Um, it's only when you slowly move up the ladder um, that you can kind of get to that peer level and challenge people because there's, there's, there's a different type of hater you find in in the corporate world. Because mm. a hater, traditionally for me, is someone at your peer level who gets jealous because you're starting to do well. That's mm. a traditional definition of a hater. But mm. in the corporate world, you then meet another species of hater, which is people that are up there and they hate seeing you catch them up. Yeah, It's so strange. It's like the strangest thing you can ever come across. But I've witnessed it in, in my working world yeah. anyway. Mm. <laughs> no, no, definitely, definitely get that. Um, so in terms of your story after going through your interview and starting your first day nervous, how did it kind of develop to where you are today now? Yeah, everyone has the same opportunities and the science of recruitment, if you dissect it, it boils down to probably 20 things that happen during what we would class internally as a recruitment life cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you just execute and concentrate on executing at each level of that cycle, then you can start to do really well. Where people fail, and the majority of people who join our industry, they leave after six months. Mm -hmm. The majority, 95% join recruitment and then leave um, for two reasons. Number one, they think it's going to be like Wolf of Wall Street. So they have this like image of like, it's like, oh, it's like crazy, like mental. And they're just just caught up in like, it's going to be really glamorous. Um, It is glamorous. The end product is glamorous, uh, glamorous rather. The, The money and the camaraderie and the progression and you develop yourself. But the actual work you're doing, um, it's like anything. It's like I'm a big sports fan, so I draw a lot of synergies. Like you're putting in the hours in the gym. I can't imagine that's always going to be fun. And it's the same for recruitment. So I was working weekends and and all the rest of it when I I first started in recruitment. Yeah, like without fail. Um, Mm. I was probably... um, I was probably a bit of a loner, really, like when I first started in recruitment, but I didn't really care because um, there was people who were better than me. And the reality was I was going to have to work harder than them just to be as good as them. But again, that's the reality of how the working world works, basically. So the first thing was probably the work ethic. Um, The second thing is I just exposed myself to as many different scenarios as possible um, from a client perspective, um, just so I can just learn my trade that way. No, that, that makes a lot of Where, sense. When did you think of the idea or like how did it come to you to be like, you know what, I'm actually going to start my own thing? Um, it goes back to your first question that you asked me about my personality type. Because mm-hmm. um, there came a moment where I thought, do you know what, I'm actually um, quite good at this job. Um, but I always felt a little bit um, stifled by those above me. Yeah. Um, not in a... I'm, 
not it doesn't have to be negative. I, mean, I think a lot of it is probably down to my personality rather than those above me. And, yeah. You know, I've been very lucky to have some amazing managers in, in my career, but I think it was it was more to do with that because when you're being told, imagine learning your craft for over a decade mm-hmm. and then being told how to engage externally with clients. Mm-hmm. It is going to irk you a little bit and you are going to think, well, hang on, I know my craft. Yeah. Why, why do I need your permission to speak like this externally? Um, sounds like I'm bitter the way I'm phrasing no, it. No, I definitely not... agree. I get that. I understand yeah. that. 100%. <laughs> no, that so it was more to do with that. I wanted to kind of create my own culture mm-hmm. and mold my own thing, basically. Yeah. So it's kind yeah. of come from that. Okay. And so, yeah, how how have you been able to build it? How has is, how is the process been? What have you kind of learned? Along the way as well. So the the playing field has has leveled now. Okay. So recruitment, probably along with the restaurant trade, is one of the most saturated industries out there. Mm-hmm. Even maybe down Crown Road, there's there might be like fifty recruiters down there for all we know. There, there probably is. Um, so it's very very saturated. Um, it's a level playing field now because information used to be key, mm. but because of LinkedIn, LinkedIn's ruined it for us because. Everyone has access to yeah. that information now. Yeah. Um, so our USPs have to be way more sophisticated than what they could be before. Because mm-hmm. back in the day, the, the USP to a client was, we have candidates that you won't have access to yeah. elsewhere. Was now it's like, no, we can just go on LinkedIn and find these same mm-hmm. candidates, basically. So the, U, the USP has to, um, has to change. Um, I would liken it to kind of opening up, um, like a, if you opened up a, an Indian restaurant on Brick Lane, you're in all sorts of trouble immediately because there's like hundreds of um, Indian restaurants out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you need to do basically one or two things, which is what we're trying to do from a recruitment perspective. Um, you either offer them the same product, but a, a much higher level of service. Um, yeah. Or you try and be a bit more consultative in terms of the actual project you can put put together yeah. for them, basically. So... Um, that's, that's essentially what we try and do. Um, without trying to do our business model or disservice, a lot of it boils down to your personal USPs as well. Yeah. Like, do they want to deal with you as an individual? And yeah, that, that never goes away. Them. Say that again. The experience you offer them. Your experience yeah. you offer them. And the analogy I always use, if you go to a restaurant and the food's amazing, but you get really poor service or the waitress is really rude to you, yeah. you probably might not go back there. Yeah. If that product's really amazing. Mm-hmm. So I think people like to engage with people who, you know, I talked about being salesy at the start and it's, there's being in your face salesy yeah. and there's being a bit more emotionally intelligent. So yeah, I think clients sure. prefer to kind of deal with people in that manner. I think yeah. from my experience of working in sales, right, um, a lot of people, they sell the, um, the features as opposed to the actual benefits. Yeah. And it's the benefits that sparks that kind of, emo- is that emotional yeah. trigger. Do you know what I mean? So do you find this is similar in recruitment? 100%. Yeah. That's it. What you just said there is totally spot on. That's the type of training we give to the guys pretty much on a weekly basis. Mm. Because I think sometimes people fall into the trap of, you, you assume that someone understands what you're trying to sell them. Yeah. That's the biggest mistake you can make. Yeah. Like, yeah. You have no idea what they're trying mm-hmm. to, what the benefit is basically. Are you able to kind of break down the the, the journey of recruitment? So, like for example, because there's there's tons out there, right? And yeah. My in my experience of using recruitment, recru- uh, like recruiter agencies, um, in uni, they haven't really been any help. It's sure. Like you upload your CV, and that's it. Or yeah. You can go and like read Indeed and that stuff and just blast yeah. out your CV. But 
there must there must be more to it, right? Of course, hundred percent. So, for every good recruiter, I reckon there's five bad recruiters. Um, it's probably the ratio, unfortunately, is yeah. is, is like that. Um, so inevitably, you are going to have those type of experiences. Yeah. Basically, um, the challenge. The one mitigating thing I would say um, linked to your experience, for example, mm -hmm. is that we can't underestimate how many other versions, it's Alex, isn't it? Yeah. How many other Alexes are out there having that same conversation with yeah. that recruitment agent? So my, I always say to people, just stay on my radar, like hassle me on WhatsApp if you have to, mm -hmm. um, so that you're always at the top of my um, thought process whenever mm -hmm. I get a, a role in from a client. Um, but I, it seems as though what, the agency's probably not done well with your experience is that they may not have managed your expectations properly, yeah. um, which is always the biggest mistake. So I think um, I mentioned at the start that we're not a job center. So I'm always quick to say to people that um, I can put roles in front of you, but I can't guarantee that I'm going to be able to place you straight away. Yeah. Um, but you can use me for kind of networking purposes and to expand your network that way. Um, mm. I don't know if I've answered your question at all. Um, um, yeah, no, just, yeah. So what's, Challenge more, me, of by the, the way. what's yeah. more of the of the process from like beginning? Because there's two sides. There's the client side and there's also yeah, the candidate, the candidate side, side as well. Yeah. What's kind of the experience for the candidate? Like you, like how, yeah, how does it, how does it work? Yeah, so I think the best, the best way, the best way to think of it is candidates, like you guys maybe, um, if you're the football players, mm -hmm. the football clubs are our clients mm -hmm. and we need to wait for that transfer window to open mm -hmm. so that we can then suddenly say to you, Alex, do you know what? Chelsea are looking for a left back now. Mm -hmm. You look perfect for them, basically. Mm -hmm. So that moment is the moment where the magic happens, basically. Yeah. Um, however, if the magic happens and I've got no footballers on my roster, what am I going to do? Mm -hmm. So the candidate side of thing is always going to be really, really important still. So that we would call that talent pipelining. Mm -hmm. That's the internal jargon we'd use, yeah. basically. So yeah. we try and gather as many footballers or skill sets as possible. So yeah. when that transfer market happens, we're then able to kind of deploy yeah. you straight away. Um, it doesn't always happen that easily. Um, whenever I deal with um, candidates, I'm always honest. And um, if I can't help them, thankfully I'm well networked enough that I can kind of push them onto someone else or yeah. say, look, can you can go and speak yeah. to my, a former colleague of mine who's going to be able to help you, basically. Mm. Um, but yeah, the candidate side of things, I think the service we give candidates is one of the reasons why recruiters aren't very popular. Yeah. Um, because of stuff that you experience, for example, yeah. or not even getting callbacks. Yeah. And like, does... Um, I think there's this, there's this preconceived idea that kind of going through a recruiter cuts out a lot of the process. So, you know, test, doing all these tests, yeah. and interviews and all that stuff. So... Is, is that is that the case? Does it kind of cut out some of the process? I think so. One of the jobs I've, even in my personal recruitment career, so believe yeah. it or not, there's recruitment agents for recruiters. Yeah, they're called recruitment to recruitment agents. Is mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's actually, actually, a big industry as yeah. well. Yeah. So I, I've, I've had one of those scenarios before because in my recruitment career, I had a really short stint. Um, that if someone else is fighting your corner to kind of explain, look, Myron's a really good guy. We've reference checked him. Um, however, he has this small stint on his CV and we can kind of explain it why. Sometimes that carries more benefit than you doing it yourself because yeah. it's, a, it's a tough one, but just the way human nature works, if someone starts to fight their corner too much, you can come across a bit too defensive. So I definitely yeah. see the value in using someone mm -hmm. that can kind of fight on your behalf. However... It's so important that you have that chemistry with your 
with your consultant because if someone is representing you in the wrong way, it's just basically an extension of yourself. Yeah. And it's never going to go well. Um, but yeah, there's I, 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 I do agree that it can cut out the process. Yeah, so um, what type of um, clients do you have or do you work with? Um, what's your kind of niches or where, who do you recruit for? Sure. So it's largely centered around digital, technology, retail, sales, and marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of client base, it's extremely varied. Um, Able Search's main focus is on, on the retail sector, um, but we're always trying to evolve, especially in this current climate. We're trying to reinvent ourselves yeah. into adding different types of industries um, on, on top of that. So if anything, sometimes the smaller companies that we work with are can be better to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a moment, a while ago, we were speaking about maybe some of the negative experiences you've had from the recruitment process perspective. Yeah. Um, it's not atypical for that to happen within a bigger company because mm-hmm. there's a lot of red tape internally that's happening with the process. Yeah. Um, whereas smaller businesses are nicer to deal with because you're dealing either with the founder or the line manager directly. Mm-hmm. Um, so we try and keep our client base as eclectic as possible. It's probably the best way of framing it. Yeah. yeah. Are you able to name drop? Um, I think we've spoken a few, we, you and I have spoken of, um, a few such as Bape. Yeah. Um, um, we haven't worked with the likes of Converse or Nike yet, but if you walk down New Bond Street, um, any of those watch brands or a lot of those watch brands we're, we're working with at the moment, um, we're having to be a bit more careful about the type of skill sets we're going after yeah. at the moment because there is a bit of a recruitment freeze on a lot of the retail yeah. sector at the moment. So mm. some of the back office roles around tech and digital is where it seems to be happening at the moment. No, so makes like, sense. How do you kind of go about growing your client base? Is it is it organically, like through networking, or is it kind of just through like advertisement and stuff? It used to be advertising. Um, I think when I mentioned to you before that LinkedIn has kind of leveled the playing field, yeah. um, that doesn't tend to, doesn't seem to, or won't give us an edge anymore. So networking has always been um, kind of the, easily the, the best way of doing yeah. it. So yeah. back in over a decade ago, um, we used to have like a Philo Facts, if you guys know what that is, where it used to be like our top clients and top candidates. So this is information that no one else had access to. Mm. And it was off the back of that that we then kind of expand our network slowly, slowly. Mm-hmm. Um, the great thing is you can basically adopt that same method, but in a much more modern way. So that's mm-hmm. exactly how we grow our client network, basically. Okay. Makes yeah. And like recruitment, just like everything, a lot of it's like relationships, right? Building, yes. maintaining relationships. And what I, what I love about recruitment and about maintaining relationships is that it's very personal. So what passes for cool for you and I, yeah. clients may see it completely differently. I've managed um, some very boring people in the past who have done way better than I did in terms of client engagement because yeah. they just know their stuff. So, so they might not be fun down the pub, but because they know their stuff, they just kind of blow the client's mind. Yeah. The clients love dealing with them. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about the industry and relationship building is that any type of personality, as long as you channel it in the right way, mm-hmm. you can make money and yeah. you can win clients, basically. Yeah. No. A lot of people know how to build relationships, but maintaining them is, is a different yeah, story. Yeah, yeah. So is there any advice on how on how someone can kind of just maintain maintain relation, their existing relationship? Yeah, so I think familiarity breeds contempt is something I live by because sometimes where relationships can fall down mm-hmm. is where you get you overstep that professional boundary with a client mm-hmm. or, or a candidate as well. Yeah. So it becomes too, sorry, mate, sorry, I'm going to have to cancel the interviews, mate. And you've kind of allowed that to happen because you've 
stopped it being professional. Mm-hmm. Um, so I always try and keep that professional authority there. Mm-hmm. That doesn't negate the fact you can build rapport. That's what people get scared yeah. about. It's yeah. like, oh, but if I haven't asked him about his kids and his wife and stuff, it's like, no, you can do all of that and you can keep it professional. There's yeah. a skill to it. Um, it's a skill that never came naturally to me, but I just kind of learned it on the job. I mean, maintaining relationships is always about, I mentioned the restaurant analogy before. It's yeah. like, in that example I gave, um, the mentality shouldn't be right. They paid for that 300 quid meal. It's mm-hmm. fine. They didn't get great service. It's kind of like you really want them to come back and tell their mates about it mm-hmm. and whatnot and whatnot. So um, maintaining relationships is one of the toughest things to do in recruitment. So, But some some recruiters back in the day, they would make a living out of what we would call hit and run placements. Mm-hmm. So they would get cash off a client and be like, see ya, we don't want to oh, work yeah. with you again anyway. Mm-hmm. And they just move on to the next one where because the market's become so saturated now, yeah. You cannot really afford to be dropping clients by the yeah, wayside yeah. to kind of maintain those relationships. Yeah. Okay. And I've got one more question, right? So, what, and I think um, the listeners will actually appreciate this one, is what makes what makes a good CV stand out? And then what just makes just a bad CV? <laughs> you'd be surprised. This is that this is a boring initial answer, but you'd be surprised how many grammar and spelling errors that we see on CVs, yeah. even by people who are really experienced. So mm. I think just sanity checking it with someone yeah. else, or I mean, it's not hard to press F7 on Microsoft Word and um, and kind of spell check it basically. Um, beyond that, I think what we find a lot, and this is, um, I, I definitely know this is a filtering tool for some of the clients that we have basically, if it becomes evident that the list of achievements that you put on your CV is more um, are more company achievements rather than personal, mm-hmm. that's where the CV starts to become less interesting. So I think there's nothing there's nothing wrong with selling yourself and saying I was involved or I played a pivotal part in this achievement, um, such as the stuff that you've done for Converse, for example. Yeah. Um, I think you should shout about that. So you just want to try and make your CV less vanilla is probably the way I yeah, describe okay, it, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. That's the issue. So uh, that that we find that all the time at any level, by the way. It doesn't matter. You could be really senior. Like, mm. you know, believe it or not, I, I wrote my CV only for the first time again since graduating, probably like two years ago. That's, yeah. that's mad, really. And when yeah. I was writing it, I read back and I was like, this is so poor. Like, I didn't even have to write yeah, this properly. Yeah, yeah. I, I read CVs all the time. Yeah. It's because people... It's almost like you feel like you're a third person when you're writing it and if you kind of forget what your achievements are, but there's nothing wrong with like talking about your achievements like profusely. Yeah. And that personal side as well is something that I think like you're really getting at because even me before, I used to be like, well, does this sound like I'm fit for this kind of role? But yeah. like you said, screaming about personal achievements, things you do outside of work adds flair to, to your CV in a sense as well. So this is this is quite interesting. I, I think it's a pertinent point given what you just said, but there is a lot of data and I know this because I have, especially in the technology world, um, there's a big drive in getting more women into technology because mm-hmm. it's a very male-driven environment. Yeah. So... A lot of the data for women, what we find is that this is, I think this is, this is interesting. If a man reads a job description mm-hmm. and they can do like two or three things on it, they're like, boom, I'm just going to apply. Mm-hmm. A woman, it's the other way around. So if there's like two or three things they can't do on that job description, they're like, whoa, I'm not going to apply for this. I can't mm-hmm. do the job. Now linking it back to the CV thing, um, sometimes it's better to have a bit more of a focus on your CV it's risky because it means that you're going to rule yourself out of some jobs. But so what? If you know what you're after, I personally would favor a CV 
exactly like you're saying, where you yeah. have a bit more of a focus. Um, and I think it is linked to to what I've just said, basically. Um, I'm not a woman. I mean, neither, neither are you guys. So it's mm. like, but this is this is what I've heard basically. And I mm. think that if you if you read some of their CVs, they're very they're much more focused. Because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when you write any CV, I think you've alluded to it in your head. You're kind of thinking, yeah, but if I put that, then I'm ruling myself out of this job. And if I don't put this, then ah, oh, but then I'm not going to get picked for this job. And it's kind of like there has to be a point where you bite the bullet and think, do you know what? So what? Mm. I'm going to stand for this on my CV mm-hmm. and this only, and this is my focus. Yeah. No, that that that's a really good suggestion. Um, what also makes a good candidate and bad candidate for those like yeah, like he said, our listeners really gonna appreciate this. For those coming out of university, for those who are really trying to find that career and that step to get into yeah. their career for for the long run rather than a job, what advice do you, do you have for them? Because like. We we come out of university. We come out like you said with degrees, but also it's not as easy for us to, to find a job straight away. And before, before you answer that, I'm going to give you two types of people, right? And I've definitely done this. So in interviews, I'll be one person, you know, sit up straight, speak properly, and kind of just come across prim and proper. Proper, right? I reached the point. I was like, you know, what? forget it. It's long. It's going to be myself, and I really just kind of put my own character like yeah. into the interview. Do you know what I mean? And I think a lot of people kind of struggle to find the balance. So it's kind of, yeah. Like what's, that. what's the best way? Yeah. Wait, in an interview? Just to, Just, yeah. So in an interview yeah. as a candidate, like how do you present yourself to have that competitive edge like compared to everyone yeah. else who's really going for the same roles? Yeah, so I work backwards. So largely... In an interview, you will have an opportunity to ask some questions mm-hmm. um, at the end. That is actually your chance. It's not just to uh, get more information from the interviewer, but actually mm-hmm. some of those questions can, um, as a byproduct, demonstrate the sort of stuff you've actually thought about. Um, so I think if you've seen anything on someone's Twitter handle, for example, or on their Insta, like don't be shy to ask about it. Um, I would ask difficult questions as well, yeah. things such as what's your attrition rate like? Because mm. that... People can get offended by that, but I, don't, I think largely it'll be received quite well because basically what you're asking is, you know, I want to stay with you guys if I if I get this job. Mm. So how many people kind of leave your company? Um, and I actually think you get more a bit of respect. You get a bit more respect by asking that question. It is a direct question, but yeah. I guess it comes down to how softly you kind of um, execute yeah. that question. Um, and obviously, just do do your research. Basically, again, yeah. this is the basic skill that some people just just struggle with. Know who your boss is as well. It's crazy the amount of um, people that get hired and they're like, they don't even know who they're reporting into on their first day. So it's kind of trying to understand that company structure so you can actually see a kind of um, a clear career path, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, aside from that, I think you just want to make, you want to get the tone right um, in terms of the interview because it used to be the case that every interview you go to, you turn up with a suit and tie Mm-hmm. Um, but now if you did that with some businesses, it's not the right tone. Like you come across a bit stuffy. Mm. Um, so you want to just make sure you understand the tone beforehand. By the way, that's where going to interviews via a recruiter can be helpful because mm-hmm. they can get you that information beforehand. It's much better than actually having to ring up HR department saying, hey, I'm coming in for an interview tomorrow. How do I dress? Mm. Um, so I think it's 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 way better to do it that way. Um, yeah, so I think have, the, have those questions prepared. Um, but also 
it's criminal for me when I when I interview people and they don't even have um, like a pen and paper ready to, to write stuff down. Mm. So sometimes these interviews go on for like two hours and it's like, where's your reference point at the end of the interview? Yeah. Um, especially in this day and age, and this is, I don't want to alarm anyone, but... That's a big fact though, the bringing a pen and paper at least mm. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's such a thing as interview fatigue. What I was about to say is that um, I don't want to alarm anyone because there is a bit more of a trend for... The interview process to have like three stages, for example, could end up being five stages. And it's mm. like interview fatigue can also set in. So it's like you might give an amazing first impression. By the time you get to the fifth interview, it's like you're fatigued and it's like yeah. you haven't got the same energy and you've got no reference points. You didn't take any notes. Yeah. yeah. These are really like kind of basic things, but no, thank you so much for that. Cause that's definitely really, really helpful. And I never actually even thought mm. about like pen and paper and stuff like that. It's just bringing yourself there I've to got, the interview. I've got a question. How important is it to actually be able to articulate yourself? And when I say articulate yourself, is actually like speak the Queen's English as opposed to kind of quote-unquote normal? I like to think none at all, but it's... it's we could You could easily have an opposing view to me. Yeah. Easy. There's businesses out there who would they probably wouldn't hire me because of the way I speak, believe yeah, it or not. Like, yeah. they, they wouldn't. Um, but do you really, like, the question is, do you want to work for a business like that? That's yeah. kind of, like, you need to have enough of a swagger to be like, well, I wouldn't work for you anyway, then if that's yeah. the only type you're going to hire. But in answer to your question, no way. Like, so think, <laughs> like this, I'm, I'm from a working class background. I just happened mm-hmm. to go uni and, you know, thankfully I think I speak okay, but mm-hmm. I've never really analysed whether it's the Queen's English or not. It's probably mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Um, but when, not like the Queen's English is worse, but okay, it comes across as pompous, but, you know, there's people that articulate every, like they pronounce every single word in the letter. Okay. So for example, rather than say, what do you mean? It's like, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, um, so yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, I, I think, look, human nature, especially look, we're, in, we're in London, we're in a diverse city. Mm-hmm. There's going to be some colloquialisms that enter your vocabulary. And I yeah. don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, to be honest, the way I see things, when we hire people, for example, um, I don't really care if they have a Cockney accent or they speak um, with a pompous accent. I'm more interested in their substance because sometimes with a pompous accent, they can hide behind the fact they're not really saying much. There's no yeah, substance. Yeah, yeah. They're just you, yeah, yeah, just using big words. words. You see these people on The Apprentice yeah, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. they speak really clever. It's like, you're not really saying much. And, mm. you know, unfortunately, we see that with a lot of politicians yeah. as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, do you have three tips for fresh graduates or those who have graduated for some time but are still looking for that career step or that foot on the ladder in, in terms of building their career um free free tips that come to mind okay number one is definitely play the numbers because i think sometimes because i've got cousins in in a similar position and you know how, how's your day been yeah i've applied for like 10 roles and i haven't heard back for many you know 10 is nothing by the way it's like <laughs> a drop in the ocean yeah. unfortunately um yeah. and people people get really uncomfortable when i say that but is the reality no, it's it's like, true. It's true. um you need to up, up the numbers basically in terms of like how many roles you're applying for. Mm-hmm. Um, the second thing I'd probably say is I would I would definitely encourage, I'm sure some clients won't like me saying this, I'll definitely encourage being creative about getting your name out there. Mm-hmm. So yes, there's a process you have to follow, which is you send your CV in via a portal. But then how else can you get on their radar? Can you just link in with them, for example? Could you link in with the HR manager? Um, 
could you maybe drop them a polite message? Um, it might not always be received well, but it's always going to come down to how politely you actually put that message forward. Yeah. You know, yeah. oh, go on, sorry. Go on. No, it's, it's, good, it's good that you said that because um, like towards when I was finishing uni, I didn't have any interviews or didn't even have a job at the time. Um, I just started messaging direct, direct. <laughs> I had to yeah, do this. Yeah. And I managed, I just I managed to just get that conversation. It led to a couple of interviews. Um, so it really does work. And I just think like just for the listeners, like these directors, they're they're no one special. They're just normal people who just who just like to have a chat. So don't feel no way of of reaching out to them. Yeah. Really. Some might not reply, but one yeah. will. So, like you said, numbers game is the same for applying to jobs or even messaging people yeah. on LinkedIn as well. So that was yeah. So we've got to two, and then the third one for me is don't be frightened to reinvent yourself mm. or concede that maybe there might be a better route for you out there. That's okay. Like I, yeah. I did a law degree, and I'm sure there's some people in my family that still think I work in law, and I don't. Mm. So it's like it can. It, it, sometimes you you can you take a left turn. Sometimes yeah. it's mm-hmm. fine. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. Um, and it, you can still have a completely fulfilling career. Mm-hmm. Quick, quick question: How important? Is like a candidate's personal social media. Oh, this is so contentious. It's so contentious. So I'll, I'll, I will let everyone in on a little secret. So I don't know if Isabel has mentioned this to you, but Myron Perry, that's like my recruitment name. My actual name, my first name is Myron. My surname is a bit longer than that. Mm. So it's just like, <laughs> I know. So, so for me, I personally keep the two separate. But mm. if someone found my real name, it's not like some big revelation, yeah. by the way, and one of my social media... I wouldn't really care to be honest. Um, I don't think it's important, but then I'm, there's no way I know I do not represent most people out there because mm. I could be having this conversation with some of my mates who hire in like, um, like the financial services sector and they'll be mm. like, oh my God, I just went on this guy's like Facebook and you won't believe what I saw. And it's <laughs> like, they're like, what are you talking about? And, I stuff I wouldn't care yeah, about. And, and, that's, would... and that's the thing because like, if someone was to look at my like Instagram or something, they wouldn't, Think I do like I work in finance. Like they, I'll be going on this straight after. <laughs> <laughs> like they're they're so different, and that's why I asked. And also because um, I had a friend of mine, right? Um, he made like a series of tweets like eight ages ago. Went for a job interview. They pulled up his tweets and like, <laughs> he just didn't get the job. <laughs> so that's why I asked as well. It's a tough one. I mean, depends on. I mean, you don't you don't have to tell me more details, but it mm. depends on the nature of the tweets because yeah. I mean, if there was sort of defamatory or, or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. language that is probably not good, yeah. then I could understand it being brought up. It should, but do you know what? I I do in that instance that you mentioned, um, I would there probably is something out there that I maybe I don't really use Twitter, but if someone brought it up, if anything, I'd probably use it as a forum to think. You know what? They brought it up. This is my opportunity to kind of like explain. Um, about that aspect of social media, but this is this is my opinion. It's only my opinion. Yeah. Mm. I'm not even speaking on behalf of the company or the industry. But for me, my strong, strong opinion is: do not be a slave to the employment world. Like, do what mm-hmm. you want on your social media. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, like, yeah. just live your own life. Like, yeah. who the hell is anyone else to tell you what to do on your social no, media? No, I get that. No, I definitely get you. But also, I think it's super important for people because, like, 10 years ago, and like, people change, your mindset change. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's just best to do a quick search and delete whatever it is you got on there just because mm. your opinions might have changed and the world changed so much as well. People are much more accepting and people's views mm-hmm. on things have changed as well. Um, just for like your personal 
like opinion like in in your years or of life like how does one start the career like how does one find a career because like now I kind of feel like after my experience at Converse I now know what my career is what I enjoy doing what my passions are like for for the young listeners that are like like what's my career how can they kind of figure that out okay so one thing I'll definitely say is that having worked in the corporate world for so long one of my biggest regrets it took me ages to remove myself from it Mm -hmm. I'm in my 30s now so it's like that's what I don't really regret much to be honest and those experiences really taught me well yeah. but I think whatever is your interest right now and it's good that you've identified personally what your interests are I think just go after that no matter what yeah I don't want to contradict my early advice which is it's okay to take a left turn if you need to but you're saying that you're convicted in like I want to do this mm-hmm. I want to do that and so I think you can just go after it um so personally that's one of my biggest regrets. It just took me years to remove myself from a situation that didn't wasn't really kind of mm. suited my personality, yeah. for example. Mm. Um, so it's like know your own personal USPs as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, just know know what makes you tick and what stimulates yeah. you. And don't kid yourself, because I know that there's sometimes a bit of a fallacy where it's like, um, if I'm offered a job, like if it's not really what I want to do, I'll just take it and see if see if I end up enjoying yeah, it. And then you just have a little black mark against yeah. against your CV, basically. So no. I think if you like something, just go for it. That makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, just to to round things up, what are your kind of long term goals for your agency? Like, what are you currently working towards now? How can people get involved with what you're doing and stuff like that? Yeah, nice. I think one of the things we definitely would like to do is have a bit more focus on CSR um, or corporate social responsibility because, yeah. um, especially in this in this current climate, I mean, there's a bit of a kind of an economic divide between. Between being humans at the moment in yeah. the UK, it's just like, it's, 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 yeah, exactly. So, so it's only right that we kind of give back. So yeah. I think we are trying to have a big focus, but not in a. The issue I've got with some of this um, CSR stuff is some of it's very cosmetic. Yeah, people talking, all these Instagram yeah. pages on like BLM and like mental health, and it's like I know some of these people that are posting it, and it's mm. like talking absolute rubbish because I know for a fact your business isn't like that. Yeah. Um, so we want to kind of give back but in a way that it's actually tangible rather than just like tweeting about something yeah. you know so that that's a that's a real big that's a real real big thing for us at the moment um so we are trying to win a few clients that outside of our normal remit um that for me would represent success it won't it won't give us um monetary success in the same way that other clients would but that's not what we're really aiming yeah. for at the moment mm. in this current climate so yeah, amazing amazing yeah that's really good and definitely a need for that in this current climate how can our listeners kind of reach out to you um get involved with you and, and stuff like that happy to link in with anyone basically yeah. i don't know i um i guess i'll speak to you offline about what happens next in terms of how this is going to be posted and whatnot but yeah we'll definitely to- we'll definitely add the links um to your linkedin or how people can can reach out to you as well yeah. if you're if you're happy with that. Um, so we always end the show with um, one word for the week. It doesn't have to be one word. It could be a phrase. But kind of what word or phrase do you have for our, new, for our listeners to go into this new week? Wow, okay. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Yeah, you really have. <laughs> Man, you could have told me this beforehand. You know, that you <laughs> nah, it's, it's always best when it's on the spot. Like you said, you got to... I'll just go with a Kanye lyric, which is your attitude determines your latitude. Cool, you cool, cool, cool. You heard it here first, guys. Your attitude determines your latitude. Um, Alex, any house notes? Um, make sure you like, subscribe, comment, shoot us an email. If you've got any questions, shoot us an email. Um, 
Yeah, man. And thank you for listening, guys. Really appreciate it. I just want to say, I just want to say one more thing because there was a moment um, in between where there, there was a bit of a technical issue and we were kind of speaking offline. And I, I think what I was saying, what I was saying to these guys is that when I was their age, there's no way I'd be doing anything as impressive as this. So yeah. I'm, I'm actually very grateful that you guys have like invited me on. No, here. So we're I feel sure blessed. And it's a pleasure. So thank thankful you for having you on. Stuff. Yeah, thank you so much. We're really grateful for having you coming on, sharing your knowledge mm-hmm. and really sharing these gems as well because us young people really do need it. So yeah. super grateful. Thank you everyone for listening. As always, focus on things that move, move the, the needle. needle. And yeah, everyone stay safe and keep on, keep on giving us good reviews and tuning in. I remember to wash your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you.